0: Hey, everybody. Happy Saturday. This is Chuck here uh, to introduce you to this week's Saturday Select. And uh, we are going with a classic from the archives, How Marijuana Works. Uh, Why are we releasing this today on April 20th? Oh, because we're juveniles. That's why, everybody. Hope you enjoy it. It's a very insightful episode. And here we go with How Marijuana Works. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: And welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant getting his demons out. Man, how about this music? Yeah, this is a thanks to our uh, guest producer, Noel. Yeah. Who uh, is, Jerry's actually producing, but he's got the musical touch. He's, if you want to, he's our dub producer. Yeah. If you, you want to reggaeify your
0: podcast, <laughs> Noel is the man.
1: Yes. So big
0: thanks to Noel. Yeah. And great idea
1: by you. I and I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I and I. I love that. How you doing, man? I'm great. You got some good feelings going on, yeah. I mean,
0: uh, we've covered grow houses, uh-huh. and um, we did medical marijuana, right?
1: I don't think so, no, no, because a lot of it didn't seem familiar when I was looking into it in this article, huh? So, but we've definitely done grow houses, yeah, which is kind of backwards, yeah. Well, not really, no, gotta got grow up. That's, that's first, too. <laughs> so, Chuck. Here we are. We're talking about pot, Mm -hmm. and uh, as is our thing, we're going to talk about pot in a very, like, above-the-boards, mature way. Are we? I think we can. (laughs) Sure. We've talked about some other stuff before. Poop. We've talked about poop plenty of times. Yeah,
0: well, I think— Talked about booze. Every time we cover drugs, we like to cover the scientific aspects, the social ramifications. Right, how it's impacted culture. Yeah. Why would this one be any different? Well, and this is probably the biggest, you know. It's the most ubiquitous, I would say.
1: Yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe the gateway to all the other episodes. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess if you, I, we should start at the beginning. How about that? Okay. Let's talk about pot and its history. It's very long, long, long history. Um, and actually, for most of that history, it has been widely beloved and appreciated. The. Apparently, pot's been cultivated or marijuana. We're going to use all that um, in, interchangeably. Weed, pot, marijuana, yeah,
0: but cannabis. That's, that's probably where it will stop. <clears throat> like if either one of us says ganja or sticky icky. Sticky icky. Like y- it's in this article. Like we should just shut it down right then. All
1: right. All right. We'll do the uh, hey, take that back. Yeah. One of us will say that, okay? Uh, yeah, but like you said, I mean, this
0: is going to be an overview because we could do honestly four Shows on the history of pot.
1: There's quite a a rabbit hole we could go down here. Yeah, we got to avoid it.
0: Yeah, but we're just we'll give you a historical overview. How about that?
1: Sure. So, um, like I said, pot's been cultivated for eighty five hundred years, and like I also said that it's mostly been appreciated most of that time for two reasons. One, it is um, an industrial, or it was until the rise of the synthetics, a major industrial fiber, hemp. Sure. And then, secondly, it was a, um, or it still is, a medicinal herb. Yeah. That kind of spills over into recreational use as well. So, in the 28th
0: century in China, uh, it looks like it was probably used medicinally. Yeah. And not recreationally, but there are definitely uh, records, written records of the cultivation of cannabis.
1: Well, yeah, a guy named Shen Nung, who was an emperor, but was also China's first physician. Wrote about how Ma, that's what they called pot back then in China. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Was um, good for the yin and the yang. Both of them. <laughs> right, which is actually, as we'll see, um, it, that's a pretty astute observation early on because uh, what he's talking about is balance or homeostasis, yeah. which pot definitely affects. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh,
0: they have found a mummy, a 3,000 year old Egyptian mummy, and uh, looked into this, and it it contained. Quite a few drugs, but it definitely contained THC. Mm-hmm. So the Egyptians were getting down.
1: Yeah. Uh, Maybe
0: medicinally. Who knows?
1: In 1001 uh, Arabian Nights, it makes an appearance called Bang, B-H-A-N-G. Uh, yeah. Sinbad apparently loves the stuff. But supposedly his was hash mixed with opium, which is way more hardcore than what we're talking about.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Um, they think it uh, originated perhaps in India. And um, north of the Himalayas is their best guess.
1: Yeah, they they really have no idea. Yeah. And actually there's like a lot of debate still over whether there's more than one um, type of plant. What do you mean? So there's cannabis indica. Yeah. Cannabis sativa. Yeah, they're different. There's another one called cannabis ruderalis, supposedly. Oh, really? um, and there's there's an ongoing debate among uh, botanists. Uh, over whether they're all actually just uh, different like um, varieties of the same plant right? or if they really are different species of plants in the same family. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But I think the, co- the current common wisdom is that there's at least two, cannabis sativa and cannabis indica. Uh, yeah, we
0: may as well get into that a little bit. Um, the indica is, uh, the plant itself is shorter and fatter mm-hmm. and better suited for indoor growing. And the uh, sativa is taller. It can get really tall, like 25 feet. Yeah, Um, and it's spindlier. Yeah, and thinner. Um, Although I think for cultivation, I don't think, uh, even though it's grown outdoors, I don't think they're growing the 25-foot plants.
1: No, I would imagine the helicopters can (laughs) see them a lot more easily.
0: Yeah, and the indica is known for uh, more of a a body high, um, quote-unquote couch-locked. Yeah. <laughs> Mellow. Yeah. And the uh, sativa is more known for uh, more energetic and cerebral and creative, more of a brain high.
1: Right. And then conversely, one can make you more paranoid, one can make you more drooly. Uh, yeah, and typically these days, um, if
0: you are a recreational or medicinal user, you're probably getting some sort of a uh, hybrid can, strain.
1: Good point. And actually, some of the strains, those hybrid strains, are, have some of the best names, like Green Crack. <laughs> That's a pretty good name. Yeah. AK forty seven, White Widow. White Widow's actually a, a pure strain, isn't it, of Indica? Uh I'm not sure. I think it is. Yeah, Maui Wowie. Oh, the, the pot names are they're pretty <laughs> funny. They've definitely gotten better from the seventies, like Maui Wowie. Yeah, that a, sounds very old a face school. Slapping. <laughs> yeah. Um so should we talk about a-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk a little bit about um its history in this country in the United States?
1: Yeah. So I think we should get to that, because, as I said, Chuck, w- when you look back on pot all of these years and um it 's how it was used, it was generally like appreciated, used medicinally, used recreationally, not vilified it wasn 't until it hit North America that it really started to become vilified.
0: yeah, well, it had a good run here too uh in the states for a couple of hundred years um it was hemp was grown and cultivated and widely used, some people say it's, you know, the most versatile plant on earth, uh, as far as the different uses you can get out of it. And it was in the 1619 Virginia assembly, uh, assembly, they even said, do you have to grow hemp if you're a farmer in Virginia? So not only was it encouraged, it was actually law in Virginia at least. Well, so it had a, it had a good run until, uh, the early 1900s and
1: 1920s. Well, what's what's interesting is back in this time. You remember that part in Days and Confused, where um, the like the this the biggest stoner of the whole group is talking about George Washington, like oh yeah, like planting hemp all day, and yeah. then comes home and smokes a big bowl of it. <laughs>
0: yeah, Martha had it's, it ready.
1: It's not clear whether or not any of them were smoking pot, and right. it's entirely possible that they weren't, sure, because the idea of smoking pot was lost to the ages for a very long time. Yeah, um, and the Greeks actually grew marijuana, but they didn't smoke it. They just used it for its fibers. Right. And it almost appears like they had no idea you could smoke it, and it was psychoactive. So it's possible that the uh, our forefathers didn't smoke pot. Yeah. You know, and they, they were just growing it for industrial uses. And meanwhile, Native Americans were like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> rope,
0: rope is nice, but, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It can be both. That's right. Uh, in... Um, the early 1900s, uh, the Mexican Revolution of 1910. This is one of the big turning points uh, because a lot of Mexican immigrants came to the U.S. and they were like, "Hey, you know, you can smoke this stuff. Right? It's pretty nice." And because uh, Mexican immigrants had a um, were sort of looked down upon,
1: uh, all of a sudden, pot was looked down upon. Really, Mexican immigrants were looked down upon somewhere in the U.S. history. <laughs> Yeah, the the whole thing about um, pop being vilified, or um, I guess there was a moral panic, basically, is what they call it, that erupted around it. Yeah. And a lot of it was based in racism toward um, Mexican-Americans or Mexican immigrants.
0: Yeah, in the 1930s, especially uh, in the Depression, um, they were, sort of had a bad name, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, they're immigrants in this country, and we're Americans, and we're in a Depression, and we want the work, and... Uh, kind of a lot of the same arguments here these days. Right. But um, the association with pot was definitely uh, part of it.
1: It definitely was. But also I read this this NPR blog on Code Switch about this very topic, and they were saying, like, yes, there's a lot of racism that led to the criminalization of pot. Yeah. But Mexico was 20 years ahead of the U.S. in criminalizing pot as well. So you can't just say, well, it was just Americans disdain or dislike or distrust of Mexicans. Right. It was, you know, it's more complex than that. And this guy was saying that really you can conclude there was a fear of what this drug did. Right. And the reason why there was a fear of what the drug did was because the newspaper reports at the time had people like killing entire families. Yeah. And like wandering around the streets like with somebody's head. Right. um, Covered in blood because they just smoked a joint. Yeah. And um, they were really trying to unpack this, like, why would that happen? Did it happen? Were all of them just overblown reports? The f- the fact was, when you picked up the Los Angeles Times or the New York Times, yeah, there were front page stories about this, and they were like, brown skin Mexican kills white family of eight on marijuana cigarette, yeah, and that's why. And actually, the the word marijuana was kind of used as a derogatory term to kind of Mexicanify. Cannabis, which is what it had been called prior to that. Oh, is that where it came panic? from? Yeah. Huh. Did not know that. I'm off my soapbox. Look at you teaching
0: me. <laughs> uh well movies like Reefer Madness uh, definitely didn't help. In nineteen thirty-six, the famous propaganda movie from uh French director Louis uh Gasnier. It's you know, required viewing for any <laughs> college student at it some really point. Is. Yeah, it's it's not very good and it's not very enjoyable. But it is kind of funny showing the the Reefer addicts, you
1: know, driven to insanity Right. by uh, by the marijuana cigarettes. And somebody gets murdered, right? I don't even remember. I think someone murders somebody else because they <laughs> smoked pot. Uh, and then in
0: 1937, um, a year after Reefer Madness, Congress packs, uh, passed the Marijuana Tax Act. And this is basically where the tide turned, and it was essentially criminalized uh, because it called for restricting uh, res- possession just to individuals who paid a tax which is like $1,000. For medical or industrial use. Right. So in other words, if you're just, you know, Sammy Pothead, you can't live that way anymore in this country. No,
1: you would basically have to show, set up a yeah. shell organization, pay the $1,000 tax, and then you'd be able to import marijuana. But if you were caught with it smoking it, you'd still get busted. Yeah. It was a big deal when that happened. And you can kind of lay all of this at the feet of one guy, a moral crusader who ran the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in the 30s, well, the 30s until the 60s. His name was Harry Anslinger, and he was the one who really kind of started this crusade against pot and got the government to um, turn against it, got the press to turn against it and got the marijuana tax act passed. Yeah. But even while this guys like sitting there shouting like all marijuana's going to kill us all, it's a horrible drug and it's it's as bad as it gets. There were studies, independent studies that were um, funded by the government that were showing like mm, you guys are kind of overstating this a little bit.
0: Yeah, in 1944, uh, Mayor LaGuardia of New York issued a report that basically said that it doesn't induce violence, insanity
1: or sex crimes. Yeah, and he was a moral reformer himself. Remember, he went after the Minsky brothers from the burlesque episode. Yeah. So it's not like he was just some big pothead. Like, he was a a moral reformer himself, and he still found this report.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, That led to um, the the sentencing laws over time have kind of waffled back and forth. Yeah. Uh, In the 50s, they were pretty strict uh, because of the Boggs Act and the Narcotics Control Act, and that's when they started setting mandatory minimums uh, for basically any drug, but including uh, marijuana, of course.
1: Yeah. Like you would go to prison for a long time if you got caught with pot.
0: Yeah, two to ten years for a first, uh, first-time first offender in the 1950s.
1: Getting caught with pot. Yeah. That's it. Any two, two Any amount, years. right?
0: Uh-huh. Uh, and in the 60s, things relaxed a little bit um, in every way you can imagine <laughs> yeah. in this country. And, uh, you know, President Kennedy and uh, and LBJ... Issued reports that found kind of the same thing as they found out in the forties. It doesn't induce violence, uh, and in these reports, it said it didn't uh, wasn't a gateway drug either. Yeah, in the nineteen sixties,
1: which is still up for debate, really. Yeah, I that, don't think I, I that's don't it's think, ever been definitively no, stated.
0: because you read every other report you read is going to say something a little different. Yeah, about what the gateway drug is.
1: And plus, I think defining what makes a gateway drug too has never been fully established. Yeah. You can't how can you test something scientifically if it's you can't you have really. it defined, you know? Yeah. Uh and
0: the that led the nineteen sixties led to a repeal of a lot of the mandatory minimums in the seventies. Um but then of course Ronald Reagan in the nineteen eighties brought well, a lot of that stuff back.
1: And Nixon too, he fought that tooth and nail. Like even though the tide in the country was turning one way, Nixon was like, Nope. We are going to keep pot as illegal as possible and as a matter of fact we're going to put it on the same level as heroin and cocaine.
0: Yeah, and during the Nixon administration the the Schaefer commission it was a bipartisan commission found again that uh it should be decriminalized and Nixon was just like well I don't I don't want to hear that. Sorry. I'm going to make up my own mind about it.
1: I'm this. the president. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so like you said the the Reagan era brought it back um brought, not not brought pot back. No, brought back any kind of um anti-government sentiment toward pot itself was redoubled in the 80s under the Reagan administration. Just uh, say no. Mandatory minimums yeah. were, were uh, or mandatory sentences were reenacted. Um, in 1986, thanks to the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, if you got caught with 100 marijuana plants, you got the same um, jail time as if you were caught with 100 grams of heroin. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Plants versus grams. That's sort of a apples to oranges comparison.
1: Yeah, plants versus heroin. It's yeah. like plants versus zombies.
0: <laughs> I know. At one point, this is sort of off topic. Topic, but I don't know if they've changed it. But at one point, they were sentencing uh, LSD users by the weight. Right. And wasn't that the deal? It was like they would like if you were an LSD dealer and you had twenty sheets of acid, they would uh-huh. weigh it and. They were like, well, wait a minute. You can't weigh the paper. That's like weighing the suitcase that right. the cocaine comes in. Right, yeah. And uh,
1: I think that's still the same though, isn't it? I don't know, but I, I do know what you're talking about. And apparently like, if, they would, if you had it mixed in with liquid or something, like diluted into liquid right. form, they'd take the weight of all the liquid right. rather than the proportion of it. Yeah. I don't know. It could be... We could be, like, showing our, our gullibility for urban legend or not, but I now, don't I know, know if that's the case.
0: I don't know if it still is, but I know it definitely was It definitely at one was? Point. Yeah, because I saw, like, an HBO special on oh, okay. these LSD dealers <laughs> that were basically serving, like, life sentences yeah. for dealing acid. Yeah. Uh, right alongside murderers and rapists.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to check into that. And people who were caught with pot in the 30s. That's right.
0: Uh, so pot these days, cost-wise... Um, Varies a lot depending on quality, obviously. It ranges, um, I love that in this article it says $1. seventy-seven to $17.66 per gram.
1: Right. I'd like one gram of marijuana, please.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, but these days you can expect to pay um, for you know what people consider good marijuana, about $120 for uh, a quarter bag, which is a quarter of an ounce.
1: Right, which is seven grams, right? Because there's 28 grams in an ounce. Yeah, I think between 7 and 8 grams. But um, It depends on if the dealer likes you. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but that's generally how it breaks down is, you know, you have it by the pound, which is, you know, the pot uh, dealer, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then they break it down into ounces and then to quarter bags and dime bags and whatever people can afford, I guess.
1: Well, it's funny because in the state of the country right now, like, you can take dealer and dispensary and basically flip them and interchange them, and no matter what you're talking about, it's virtually the sentence is going to remain unchanged, yeah. basically, you know? Because the, the marijuana dispensaries are following like basically the same format that marijuana dealers in this country have for decades you know what do you it's mean
0: like, like pricing and
1: yeah the pricing the um the way it's sold the by weight oh sure sure like i think yeah, you I still you buy like like quarters and half ounces and ounces and stuff which makes sense but they're also getting a lot of this stuff yeah. from people who are growing it indoors in their basement and it's like now they have licenses for all this but it's basically like all the people who are doing it illegally before, or some of the people who were doing it illegally before, right. went and applied for licenses, and now they're doing the same thing, but they just have like a um, a license to do it in a frame on their wall.
0: Yeah, and dispensaries, you're going to find a lot of other things uh, like edibles. Yeah. And um, they even have now uh, cannabis strips, like, uh, you know, the little Listerine breath strips. Oh, yeah. They have little cannabis strips. It's just a little uh, edible strip of... Concentrated cannabis, huh? And I guess you put it under your tongue, and that's uh, better for your lungs, I would imagine, if you're a oh, yeah. you know, a cancer patient or something.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's let's talk about the plant itself, Chuck. Okay. Um, Maybe the most recognizable plant that leaf, you know? Yeah, it, which is um, here's a little fact for you: the um, botanical description of the way that marijuana leaves are arranged is groovy. <laughs> Called palmately, uh-huh. uh, like a, a the palm of a hand with five fingers outstretched. Yeah, that's the uh, pot leaf that's you you can find on lighters and uh, baseball caps at gas stations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the, the like you said, the plant itself, depending on which variety it is, it's either very tall or kind of tall, depending on whether it's trimmed or not. Right. Um, and the the buds or whatever that are smoked. are actually the flowers of the plants.
0: Yeah, the flowers of the female. uh,
1: Which apparently are, that's sensomia. So the definition of the word sensomia are female flowers that have reached maturity without being um, pollinated. I can't hear that word without thinking of Caddyshack. What? I don't remember that part. Bill Murray, a little California sensomia. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's what that means? Yes. Interesting. That's the, the term means. So basically, unless you're like 14, if you're smoking pot, you're smoking sensomia. Okay. So yes, the term sensomia means pot. Okay. The, the pot that's smoked. Although the male flowers do have some THC. It's just far, far less of female than female.
0: Yeah. Um, as a cultivator, males are not what you want. In fact, males can, can disturb the cycle of the female plants. So the goal of the cultivator is to get the male out of there as quickly as it can be identified, basically.
1: Yeah, and weed's actually a good moniker for pot because it's, it spreads very easily. Their, um, pollen is uh, like 24 microns, which apparently is very easily windborne and goes very great distances. Yeah. There's very few obstacles to pollinization. Um, so if you have female plants and you have what you suspect to be a male plant anywhere nearby, you want to... Get rid of the male plant.
0: Right. And then tell the officer, uh, it, them, they must have just blown over here and taken root, sir. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you have, uh,
1: these hundred plants in my backyard came from my neighbor. <laughs> right. Their pollen is 24 microns. Come on. <laughs>
0: yeah. He says, he says, tell your story to the judge, my friend.
1: Right. Um, there are about... Uh, oh, We well, should also say there are her- hermaphroditic plants. Hermaphroditic plants. Oh yeah, that feature both male and female flowers. Those are probably a mess. Yeah, I think that, or maybe that's a good thing. I, I think, think that's like a lot of hybrid ones are hermaphroditic.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, well, there are hundreds of chemicals in the marijuana plant, um, one hundred nine of which are uh, cannabinoids. About thirty three are cancer causing, and we'll we'll get to that stuff later too.
1: But ironically, they also are cancer killing. Some of them. It is an odd plant.
0: Yeah. But we're going to get to all that stuff too, right? Okay. Um, And your THC is really the the main psychoactive ingredient. Uh, What's the long name for it? Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol. That is THC. That is what the the high that you're seeking, it lies within that chemical.
1: Yeah, and actually uh, you can point to the part of the plant where it is. if you've ever seen a marijuana plant and it has kind of this hazy appearance from far away and you get up close and you realize that haze is actually made up of a bunch of little clearish, sticky um, protrusions coming off of the leaves, those are called uh, trichomes, and that is where the THC is stored.
0: That's right, and depending on the plant and the variety and how it's grown and when it's harvested and the genetics and how you process it, it's, that's all going to affect the THC level. And as a cultivator, your goal is to have the THC level as
1: high as you can get it. Yeah, that is up for debate as well from what I've seen. um, Apparently, they're just going higher and higher and higher as far as THC content goes. And there's a lot of recreational pot users and um, medicinal pot users who are saying, like, too much, dude. Like, Louis C.K. has a bit about how when he was in, like, the... In the 70s, he uh-huh. could smoke like a, a whole joint and be like totally mellow or cool. Now he's saying it takes like one hit and you go totally insane. Um, and uh, apparently there is like a point where it's just like that's yeah. too much. Well, Louis C.K. can
0: afford better pot these days too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, but you're right. It all depends on the uh, the end user you know, what they're into. Sure. But generally speaking, uh, the cultivator wants to deliver the most bang for the buck.
1: You would think so, sure. Uh, so, Chuck... Let's uh, figuratively smoke some pot and follow it through the body. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what? We probably shouldn't do this ourselves. No. We we like our jobs. Exactly. Yeah. And we might be fired for even figuratively smoking pot. Well,
0: yeah. And who wants to? Let's let's get. Uh, how about that scruffy looking guy,
1: Farmer Ted? Yeah. He's he's look at him. He's game. So a lot of people don't know this, but we have a friend named Farmer Ted uh-huh. who has the very strange. Um, characteristic of having entirely translucent skin. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like the Invisible Man or something like that.
0: Yeah, and what better person than to follow the trail of THC in the human body than uh-huh. one you can actually see.
1: Yeah, because the, the rest of his organs or anything aren't translucent. It's just his skin. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> thank you for coming in, Ted. Um, so, Ted is going to smoke a, a joint. A marijuana cigarette. Yes. And uh, he's going to smoke what is a typical marijuana cigarette. Uh, approximately 500 milligrams of marijuana, okay. which translates to roughly, um, I don't know, maybe 10 milligrams of THC. Okay. So he's going to take a lighter and take it to the end of this joint. I'm uh-huh. making air quotes here because that's vernacular. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the THC is going to be burned and carried into his lungs. So, Farmer Ted is kind of high already. Yeah. Um, the, the THC in the smoke is carried to the alveoli in the lungs, and the alveoli is where gas exchange occurs. It's where your oxygen-deprived blood comes to get a refill of oxygen to be yeah. replenished. And since there's THC, smoke, present in that oxygen in the lungs, the THC is going to hitch a ride into the bloodstream and travel through the body. Yeah. So, it just takes seconds. Yeah. One of the places it's going to go is the brain. Uh, and when it hits the brain, it starts doing some pretty funky stuff. That's right. We could ask Farmer Ted how he's feeling right now, and he'll probably say... Yeah, he can't
0: talk right now. (laughs) He might say uh, that my eyes are dilating and the colors are a lot more vivid. Yeah. Um, I'll be hungry soon. I'll be hungry soon. My other senses are enhanced as well. But hold on. I'm starting to feel a little paranoid.
1: Yes. Let's, Let's get into this. Let's let's get into how pot affects the brain because it is pretty gosh darn interesting, if you ask me. Yeah, and and this is how it, the physiological effects. Um,
0: the end user might have different reactions depending yeah. on it. Doesn't make everyone paranoid necessarily.
1: No, and I really looked into it hard to find out why some people are paranoid and yeah. some people don't. Part would, of would it is it. Well, there's two things. One and i didn't find anything definitive which i'm i'm sad about but one the two things i came up with is one it depends on the pot sure if if there is a difference between indica and sativa the prevailing wisdom is that if you smoke indica you're going to be less likely to be paranoid okay uh the other reason is it would depend probably on the existing brain chemistry of the user my brain chemistry is not the same as yours right Um, And neither one of ours is the same as Jerry's. So, of course, when we introduce a psychoactive chemical into that chemistry, it's going to affect it differently. Yeah. So that's what I came up with, basically.
0: I wonder if one of the reasons indica is less likely is because that's the couch-bound one and you're less likely to be paranoid sitting on your couch (laughs) rather than the more active one like smoking and going to the Renaissance Festival.
1: Where you'd be freaked out (laughs) stone sober. (laughs) Where you'd meet John Strickland, and he <laughs> would mess with you if he found out you were stoned. Anyway, I'm curious. Um, yeah, uh, it makes sense. Yeah. I've also found there's recent research um, that shows the, um, the cannabinols. Yeah. There's a precursor um, chemical to them that's called uh, cannabidiolic acid, CBD. Right. And CBD um, has been found that to actually counteract the schizoid effects of pot. Like the stuff that makes you paranoid, uh-huh. that symptom. If you get if you smoke a pot that has a higher CBD to uh, THC ratio, uh-huh. maybe it's even or something like that. Uh, the CBD is going to cut down on the schizophrenic symptoms while leaving like the rest of the stuff intact. Oh, interesting. Isn't that weird? Huh. So I wonder if if indica just by nature has a higher CBD content. Yeah, maybe
0: so. Yeah, there are people that know this.
1: Okay, so back in the sixties there was a uh, researcher, his name escapes me, who started looking into what the heck made pot make you loco. Right. Right? And he found THC. So THC was isolated in the 60s. And from that, they reverse-engineered um, how THC affected the brain and effectively discovered an entire system that we didn't know existed thanks to pot research. It's called the endocannabinoid system. And it's a very ancient System that's found in everything from sea squirts to every vertebrate on the planet, including Did you say sea squirt. Sea squirts, <laughs> very primitive animals, all the way up to us. Well, I know that uh, I didn't quite get the
0: endocannabinoid part, so take it away. Okay, so I know it works backwards.
1: Yes, that's a very important point. So you know when, like, um, when we do anything from our brain says uh, grab coffee mug, right to um, to us thinking about how we're feeling at any given point, all of that is based on the transmission uh, among neurons, right?
0: Yeah, we've covered that a lot. Yeah. Uh, the neurotransmitters kind of cover that gap between the neurons mm-hmm. and deliver the message.
1: Right. And then depending on where the, the neurotransmitter is and what chemical has come across, then different things happen, right? Well, the endocannabinoid system is this kind of dimmer switch Uh, that is around all neurons that works backward to kind of say, whoa, whoa, let's not pump those neurochemicals out as frequently or in as much abundance. Right. And the whole point of the endocannabinoid system is to maintain homeostasis or good for your yin, good for (laughs) your yang. That's right. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Okay. So when you smoke pot... Your endocannabinoid system, which has receptors all throughout the body. There's CB2 receptors, which are uh, mainly associated with your immune system. Yeah. And then CB1 receptors are throughout the brain. And when you smoke pot, the cannabinoids, the phytocannabinoids, which is THC in this case, go into these regions of your brain and stick to your brain, to your endocannabinoid receptors.
0: Yeah, they basically just kind of hijack the system.
1: So these... the systems that the endocannabinoid receptors are meant to regulate are no longer being regulated by our body's endocannabinoids. They're being uh, hijacked by THC, which is not subject to our body's whims and and all that. We just basically have to ride that snake out until it's over. So you end (laughs) up with all these different weirdo symptoms that you normally wouldn't have, which is basically the result of your endocannabinoid system going haywire because it's been hijacked by THC. Right. So like your hippocampus. Yes. We've talked about that. That's good for learning. Yeah, it is. And when the endocannabinoid receptors are full of THC, uh, you're not learning or making memories as well as normal.
0: Yeah, we're talking short-term memory. It definitely impairs that, and um, that's why if you've ever hung out with a bunch of potheads, you'll hear the phrase, what were we just talking about? (laughs) Quite a lot. (laughs) Yeah, Because it's going to affect the hippocampus in that way.
1: Yeah, you're not forming memories.
0: Uh, It's also going to affect your coordination, uh, which is uh, the cerebellum, uh, so you may be a little clumsier and then you have the basal ganglia and that directs your, uh, unconscious muscle movements.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the reason Farmer Ted is paranoid, he doesn't like that, um, plant looking at him the way it is. Right. Uh, he's paranoid because his, uh, basomedial, um, amygdala has been affected. It's, uh endocannabinoid receptors have been hijacked by THC and it's this region of the brain where we learn to fear dangerous situations. Farmer Ted is learning to fear things he normally wouldn't fear right? because the endocannabinoids that the body normally makes are not um, operating the way that they're supposed to be. So he's now afraid of that plant. Now, isn't that this, aren't the endocannabinoids the same system that they have
0: finally pinpointed the munchies? Or or activates the munchies?
1: Yeah, in your hypothalamus, um, your ghrelin production. Uh Remember ghrelin? Oh, yeah. It's that chemical that makes you feel hungry, so you go eat. Your ghrelin production and absorption uh, is mediated by endocannabinoids in the hypothalamus, which gets hijacked by THC, which suddenly all food looks irresistible.
0: Yeah, and which is why it is prescribed for people going through chemotherapy and other things because they lose their appetite and lose a lot of weight. And uh, aside from
1: helping the stem nausea, it also will stimulate the appetite. Yeah. So that's the endocannabinoid system, and that is how pot affects it. I feel like a ta-da. Yeah, Oh, we, we left out the biggest part. It also causes a release in dopamine, which is what makes you feel oh, high. Oh, sure. You, any euphoric feeling comes from that release of dopamine, but it's also possible that any paranoia or those schizoid symptoms that come along with it yeah. are from too much dopamine. Right. So that t- too high a, a release of dopamine can lead to feelings of paranoia and anxiety.
0: Yeah, and these feelings, um, the effect of THC period is going to, last a couple of hours depending on, obviously, how good the pot is and how much you smoked. Right. Um, But the chemicals are going to be in your body a lot longer than that uh, with a terminal half-life of 20 hours to 10 days after you've smoked it. So um, if you get, you know, if you're one of the, how many percentage of companies drug tests?
1: 57%? Yeah, 50-something, 53 maybe?
0: Yeah, depending on your weight and how much you smoked and how long you smoked.
1: 57, you're right
0: uh you're going to either pass that drug test here or not. It can stay in your body for you know weeks though
1: yeah it's it, yeah and there's no way to tell because it depends on you, your metabolism, and the um pot yeah, the potency of the pot too um but yeah, your body breaks it down into five metabolites and they test for all five just using a basic immuno yeah where they introduce an antibody to your urine and it reacts or doesn't react and turns it a pretty color. <laughs> a pretty bad cutler right <laughs> Okay, Farmer Ted, um, stand back up. Let's abuse you some more. Although he seems like he's enjoying it, he's a little—he's a little cooler now. (laughs) Yeah, he was petting that plant a minute ago. I think (laughs) so. They they made made up. up. Yeah, (laughs) good. So, uh, if you can see his liver right here, right there. Uh huh. Um, So Farmer Ted is going to eat some pot this time. Okay. So what's going to happen? He's ingested pot orally. One way or another, whether yeah. it, cooked in a brownie or just eating the pot. Sure. And the body's going to take this and break it down, metabolize it, and send it to the liver. And when this happens, it's going to – the THC is going to hit the bloodstream Yeah. in this stomach anyway. So it's going to get some sort of buzz or whatever. But in the liver, he's going to metabolize it into another psychoactive chemical that isn't really present when you smoke it. So it doesn't it's the effects aren't quite as pronounced, but they last longer, and there's an additional weirdo thing to it
0: well, it's gonna take longer but last longer
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um the effects of it, yeah exactly, yeah,
1: but there's also the extra psychoactive chemical that's produced in the liver that's not really produced when you smoke it yeah, and isn't that weird?
0: It is weird, and it's also the reason why um new young travelers to Amsterdam you know want to try their first pot brownie they don't think it's working, then they uh, try another <laughs> one. <laughs> and this is the ones you see, like, sitting alongside the canal, like, rocking themselves.
1: Yes, because it takes a little
0: while. It does.
1: It, when, you, when you ingest it via smoke, it's almost instantaneous. When you ingest it by eating it, it's going to take a lot longer. That's right. So,
0: um, I guess we should talk a little bit about um, whether or not it's addictive, because that's another... Raging debate for years and years. Yeah. How addictive is pot? Uh, there are all kinds of studies that contradict one another. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's one of these things that probably comes down to the person somewhat. Yeah. If you have that addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do see effects of pot cessation, um, irritability, anxiety, depression, uh, maybe sleeplessness and insomnia, restlessness. Uh, and that's if you quit the pot after having been a user. And it's, you know, psychologically addictive like any drug. Uh, you're going to crave it if you want it.
1: Sure. Apparently, um, it can have an impact on your levels of anxiety. Like, you might not feel anxious when you're stoned, but you could feel anxious when you're not stoned. So you right. get stoned more often. Right. Which, while not necessarily a classic addiction, because the addiction model follows the strictly the limbic system. Right. And uh, pot, I think, activates it somewhat, but it's not really acting specifically on that. It's acting more on the endocannabinoid system. Right. Right? So, indirectly, it might be hitting the limbic system, but it's not following that classic addiction route. Yeah. But at the very least, that's habitual. If you need to smoke something to get back to normal, that's a a habit and a a bad one because you have a crutch there.
0: Yeah, unless you're Willie Nelson, and then you're just like, what's the the problem? Yeah. You just keep smoking it. (laughs) I love my crutches. (laughs) Um.
1: Really, Nelson?
0: <laughs> what are some... Uh, well, I guess we can talk about some of the the medicinal uses. Um, we did talk about cancer and AIDS patients to stimulate appetite. Um, the old glaucoma card is a big one to play. Yeah. If you're applying for your medical marijuana card. It
1: relieves eye pressure. I couldn't find how it does that.
0: Yeah, but it's been... That's one of the earliest uses of it. I remember. Oh, you remember?
1: (laughs) I remember when all this first started to hit. Yeah, glaucoma. California passed uh, um, legal medicinal marijuana in 1996. It was almost all glaucoma at the time, in which it seemed like everybody was like, you are so faking. Right. Glaucoma, you need pot for glaucoma. And then it it just became more and more established as fact. Yeah. became associated with helping more and more maladies. And, of course, if
0: you go to get your card and you go to the dispensary, they have a long list of things that it can help, right? Basically, anything you can think of. Yes, they will, they will put on their list.
1: As long as you have a prescription card, I think they're cool with it.
0: Well, no, that's to get the card. Oh, gotcha. Like the the you know the, the four twenty doctor. Store? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the
1: four twenty doctor. That's if what your doctor wears off. Birkenstocks, yeah, you can probably get a medicinal marijuana card from him.
0: But don't see him for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can help with epileptic uh, seizures. In fact, here in Georgia. That's been on the table uh, due to a famous story of a boy here in Georgia who yeah. whose seizures were, like, massively cut down um, by taking a marijuana oil, which has no THC. Uh, like, the kid's not getting high, basically.
1: It doesn't have psychoactive properties? No.
0: Wow. And Georgia is, believe it or not, trying to speed through. Uh, I know it didn't go through initially a few weeks ago just because I think they didn't have time to get uh, it through. Right but there seems to be support for it um, Yeah. but just it's for it's very surprising yeah just for the marijuana oil though not uh <clears throat> like dispensaries or anything like that
1: yeah well i mean could be the beginning of it or it could be a sea change in how in Georgia? some states <laughs> you know legalize marijuana i'd be surprised well but I, i'm wondering if it's a change like okay if this medicinal marijuana oil works we'll just oh, we can legalize that and that's it and right, that'll right. be like the model for other states or oh oh i see what you mean uh, and then MS, multiple sclerosis,
0: um, decreases muscle spasms, and <clears throat> I've seen this firsthand with a good friend. Uh, it really helps him out. And Montel Williams has uh, famously come out as an MS sufferer who is a longtime advocate yeah. for uh, using marijuana.
1: Well, it makes sense. Again, I mean, if you're having muscle spasms, perhaps your endocannabinoid system is not functioning correctly, and the THC goes in and actually supplements it. Yeah, you know. And also, I remember I said that it, can- it fights cancer. Oh, yeah, If you go into cancer.gov and type uh, cannabis and medicinal cannabis, I think, uh-huh. it brings up basically a laundry list of all of the ways that marijuana helps, and it's been found to fight to destroy cancer cells. Oh, wow. Like, THC goes in and destroys cancer cells in the liver. Apparently, it's been shown to destroy canc- breast cancer cells. Like, not... Helps you feel better when you have cancer. Right, right. Can actually cure cancer. Wow, in some cases, um, it was a carcinoma in the liver that it was shown to, to be able to cure. So it's definitely worth checking out too. That's awesome. And it also alleviates pain and um, uh, inflammation associated with um, injury or disease. Yeah. And the way it does that is with the other cannabinoid res- receptors. The CB2 receptors in the body uh-huh. are related to the. Um, uh, immune system, so it goes in and messes with those and says, hey, everybody, calm down. Let's oh. stop being so inflamed.
0: Well, that's, uh, yeah, I guess that's why it's prescribed a lot for um, arthritic conditions these days. Too. Yeah,
1: that would make sense. Yeah. Rheumatoid arthritis? Isn't that what it's called? Uh, yeah. I don't know what the what the difference is between rheumatoid and regular arthritis. We should do one on arthritis. All right, let's do it. How about that?
0: Um, it is still, uh, despite all the the medical research, it is still scheduled as a um, or classified as a Schedule One substance, which is uh, the most dangerous drugs that currently have no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. And there have been many pushes over the years to get it reclassified uh, and not in the same group as heroin and cocaine and ecstasy. Nuts. But um, that has not been successful as of yet. But I think that will probably happen at some point soon.
1: It seems like it's going that way, but supposedly around the time Normal was founded, the National Organization for the Relegalization legalization of Marijuana Legislation. Is that right? I'm pretty sure. Okay. It's quite a mouthful. I went That's to why a couple of those
0: Normal. Uh, festivals they used to have in Piedmont Park uh-huh.
1: in the 90s, the, the Normal rallies. hash bash. Yeah, I saw the black crows there once. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> right. Um, so, but yeah, Normal was founded in the 70s at a time when it looked like, I mean, Carter was president. It, it, Willie Nelson had smoked a joint on the White House roof. Yeah, like it was the time for you know pot to be decriminalized, and everybody thought like it's gonna happen. It's happening. It's happening. Yeah, and apparently, nope, it didn't happen. They pulled back from the brink. So it's entirely possible that what looks right now uh-huh. to be the wind of change that is very much sweeping through the country, yeah, it, it could could be stopped, baffled, I guess. So it's it, the the fat lady has not sung yet.
0: Well, I think the first step toward a federal, and the difference here is, you know, federal laws versus state laws. It's still federally uh, not accepted, but in states like, of course, Colorado and Washington. Mm-hmm. And then how many states have medical, like 11?
1: 20. Or
0: 20. Yeah. Okay. Um, if anything's going to happen federally, it's got to be reclassified away from Schedule One first, first. Right. Uh, so until that happens, you're probably not going to see any... Um, federal laws enacted
1: no or repealed and we should say the uh, the mood of the country right now is about split a little bit in favor toward um, pot, pro pot yeah so like in washington and colorado both votes were like 55 44 55 43 something like that yeah and the, a cbs poll from 2014 i think in january found about the same 55% of americans favor Legalizing pot, um, opposed to like I think 44 43 percent.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's clearly moved out of you know just the hippie stoners at the normal rally into people supporting that kind of legislation that don't even use marijuana because there is a groundswell of support that hey, uh, it's not a schedule one drug, it's not a schedule one drug, alcohol is more destructive to, uh, to your life in your body, and why are you going to outlaw this plant uh, and put people in prison with a war on pot that isn't working? Right. It's like wasting money, whereas we could tax it and raise money. Yeah. So there's uh, there's been a big title shift in the past decade, really in the past 20 years, but in the past 10, like if you had asked me 10 years ago if there would be recreational use allowed in any state, I would have said probably not. Right. But here we are with... Washington and Colorado. Here we are. Like where you can grow it, you can buy it, and have, I don't know how much, but I think you're allowed to have a certain small amount, right? Yeah. Like you I, can't drive I around with 10 pounds in your trunk or anything.
1: I, I don't know how much you can. Um, it's it's definitely more than just like a small amount. Yeah. But you, um, and you can just literally go to the store and buy pot. And there's actually an awesome New Yorker article called Buzzkill uh-huh. from late last year and it's about this economist that Washington state hired to basically create the framework for their legal pot industry like the economic model yeah and like on a on a macroeconomic level and a microeconomic level he's like we're whether you like it or not you're going to be competing with dealers still for sure and so you want to make your tax money but you don't want to make so much that you price yourself out of the market and the black market stays open you want to get rid of the black market by basically competing against them competing them out of business right and there's just all these different factors that this guy like was kind of laying out and it was really interesting huh. Buzzkill. I'll have to check that out yeah
0: All right. There's a debate that I don't quite understand about the potency of marijuana in like the 60s and 70s versus today. The debate is that, that pot is much more uh, potent than it was in the 60s and 70s. And first of all, they didn't they didn't Test a wide variety of marijuana strains in the 60s and 70s. Right, it was like
1: stems and seeds, Mexican like ragweed. Yeah,
0: so yeah. that's the only way you can tell a true test of potency is to study a wide variety. They, they didn't. They never did that. They didn't test the Maui Wowie. <laughs> they never did that in the 60s and 70s, and you can't go back in a time machine. So, what's the point in debating it? The pot today
1: is is how it is. It is, and basically, what the the best you could hope to do is like have Dennis Hopper smoke some pot and be like, huh. And he can be like, oh, yeah. He's dead. Hopper's dead? Yeah, dude. Since when? (laughs) Yeah, I just saw him on, like, an insurance commercial. He died
0: a few years ago. I
1: didn't know that. Yeah. That's sad. It is sad. Sorry, estate of Dennis Hopper. Um, Get Willie Nelson, though. Peter Fonda. Yeah, he's alive. Okay, so you just have Peter Fonda tell you. He can tell you. There's plenty of people who could say. The point is, that is largely irrelevant because we're not dealing with creating pot policy based on the 1960s. Right. We're dealing with pot policy today, and we know very clearly that pot is more potent today than it was even a couple decades ago. And we know that in part because of something called the University of Mississippi Potency Monitoring Project. (laughs) Basically, they get their hands on seized pot that the cops get their hands on. Yeah. They send some of it to Mississippi, and Mississippi tests it for potency. And they said that between 1993 and 2008, the um, average uh, the average amount of THC across all samples yeah. rose from 3.4% to 8.8% from 93 to 2008. And it's going up, 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 apparently now with the rise of dispensaries and the um, openly shared knowledge of how to... Cultivate pot and do you know what you want to genetically select for? Uh, It's up to a core like twenty five percent supposedly, and I didn't see that figure disputed. Twenty five percent THC content—that's insane. That that will drive you insane. I can't imagine uh, that if if the average is eight point eight or was three point four in nineteen ninety three, and is now up to twenty five percent. That's potent.
0: Yeah. And that's, I guess, for the, the top of the line, most expensive pot you can buy.
1: Yeah. But I predict that there's going to be like kind of a retro vintage pushback. A return to so swag. There, not necessarily <laughs> that, but something that's like way more toned down. Or it'll be like marketed to people who like don't want like that level of a high, I guess.
0: Yeah. Like 70s weed. Yeah. Like that's the, all they have to do to market it. Yeah,
1: green leisure suit or something like that. Yeah. Boom. Success. Although I don't know if anybody would want to go back to the 70s because I think it it really was very low potency, comparatively speaking. Yeah. All right, should we cover some of the ways
0: that it's smoked? Well, I already covered... Um, the joint, right? Th- yes. That's what Slim had. Slim had the joint. Um, I do know that Slim happens <clears throat> to prefer the blunt. Oh, yeah? And that is a cigar... Uh, that is sliced open and uh, <clears throat> tobacco is taken out and generally mixed uh, back in with some of the pot. And it's. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah, it's called a blunt. I didn't know that the
1: tobacco was ever mixed back in.
0: It depends on, I mean, you don't have to. Like a, a spliff is popular in Europe, and that's with regular tobacco. Uh, mm-hmm, like drum? Yeah, whatever. Just any kind of loose leaf tobacco mixed in with, with the pot. Yeah, I think the blunts usually, they take most of the cigar tobacco out. I think you're probably right.
1: And then you don't even need to buy a cigar now. They have blunt wrappers, like basically cigar rolling papers. Oh, really? Yeah, and flavored ones too. Yeah, I've heard of those. Mm, Interesting. Man. Uh, You can have your
0: just traditional pipe. If you go into any head shop, you're going to find a big variety of all sorts of handmade glass pipes.
1: Or remember the brass ones with the the little kind of tie-dye... Plastic thing in the middle for holding because the brass would get so hot, apparently. I don't remember that. Do you know, remember that from the 90s? Like, did you go to Lollapalooza? Yeah, I went to Lollapalooza. Well, then you saw those things. Okay.
0: I remember the first time I smelled pot, it was at a concert. Yeah. And uh, I think it was like 13. And it was such a foreign, I think I've talked about this on the show. I was just like, what in the world is that? It's like, I've never smelled anything like that in my life. <laughs> right. It's like someone burning a spare tire or yeah, something. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> bad. And then you've got the the bong, the, or water pipes, and uh, that uses water to, uh, to I guess, cool down the smoke. Right. And I remember that from the uh, Scott Bayo after-school special, Stoned. Did you ever see that one? No, I saw Zapped. <laughs> that was a regular movie. But he was growing pot in that one. He and Willie oh, was he? were growing it at school. Yeah, and Stoned was one of the the classic after-school specials where he was a pothead that like ended up uh, accidentally killing his brother or something. <laughs> like he went swimming and knocked him on the head with the oar of a boat by oh, accident. Oh, gosh. He may not have died, though. He may have rescued him.
1: The The after-school special that I remember most vividly is the the one where Helen Hunt took PCP.
0: Oh, yeah, and yeah. And
1: jumped out the window, like God, the second story of her school. I mean, they scared the pants off of us. <laughs> yeah. Which is the point. And Nancy Reagan was, like, off on the set, like, mwah. <laughs> but I remember hearing the
0: bong. He smoked out of the bong. Scott Bayo did, and I heard that the bubbling sound, and I was like, well, that's a weird sound.
1: And then you heard it on the Cypress Hill <laughs> album years later. I was yeah. like, hey, it's that's like, Scott Bayo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we've talked about the edibles um, and vaporizing, uh, which is, like, all the rage these days.
1: Yeah, and I imagine, it just hit me the other day, I'll bet everyone who smokes pot uses e-cigarettes as, like, little vaporizer one-hitters, don't they? Uh, some do. I would imagine so. Yeah.
0: In fact, you can buy... Uh, like pre-made cartridges of like hash oil and things to stick in your little e-cigarette. I know they sell those in Colorado. Stick that in your e-cigarette and smoke it. <laughs> uh, but we should point out we say kids these days and teenagers um, although marijuana use in teenagers has escalated over the years you can't pin it down to one demographic um, I think you would be surprised if everybody who smoked pot on a semi-regular basis was outed uh, about who you would see. Um, I've heard stories from friends whose fathers were like CEO executives and they had cannabis clubs <laughs> where all the other CEOs that they were friends with like grew their own specialty pot and traded it among each other. So a wide range of people uh, use it.
1: Although the vast majority supposedly, I don't know if vast majority is right, although according to polls or surveys, the vast majority are um, teenagers Followed by post teens, yeah. But in between nineteen ninety, 1990, nineteen ninety two and nineteen ninety nine, marijuana use among teenagers doubled. Yeah, and you know what? I lay that almost exclusively, at least at first, at the feet of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> you think so? I'm I put it out there. Yes. With the Chronic. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that was a great album.
1: Nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I lis- I can.
0: When I hear that album, I think of Street Fighter Two.
1: Did you play a lot of that then?
0: We 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 would sit around in college, listen to the Chronic, and play Street Fighter Two.
1: Yeah, it was a good album.
0: It was a great game. I never really played Street Fighter. Oh yeah, they were really good.
1: Uh, so I found a study here. Um, uh, I I have to interject one other thing. Okay. Um, have you seen the YouTube of Mike Tyson clips set to Street Fighter sound effects? No. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> from his one-man show or? No, no, from his boxing career. Oh, oh, And oh. it fits like perfectly. <laughs> He's like, sure, are you getting at one point? I'll
0: have to see that. So if you're smoking pot, it's obviously not going to be great for your lungs and your body because you're inhaling smoke. And like we said earlier, there are 33 cancer-causing chemicals in marijuana. And it's going to deposit tar into your lungs, just like cigarettes. Uh, and in fact, if you smoke equal amounts of marijuana in regular tobacco, it's going to deposit about four times as much tar as regular tobacco.
1: What's called the tar burden. Is it? Uh-huh.
0: Uh, however, there was a large-scale long-term study um, released recently um, by the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and they collected data from 5,000 adults for more than 20 years. Which, these are always my favorite studies, you know. Yeah. Because you can tell stuff long term. Uh, And they found that low to moderate use of pot is less harmful to your lungs than exposure to tobacco. And I think it's, uh, they measured airflow rate, which is the speed which you can blow out air, and then lung volume, which is the amount of air you can hold um, in your lungs. And they found that with tobacco, there's a one-to-one relationship. The more you lose, the more loss you have lung-wise. And with marijuana up to a certain rate, uh, it actually increased the airflow rate. Huh. And um, their rationale was that a cigarette smoker, like a moderate to heavy smoker, smoking like, you know, 20 cigarettes a day. Sure. Whereas no one's going out there and smoking, you know, f-
1: well, that's not true. <laughs> 20, 20 joints a day?
0: Yeah, but it would be probably less than that because it's more concentrated, but you don't see people smoking five joints a day either. Unless they have or right. their, their Willie Nelson or right. Snoop Dogg. I'm sorry, Snoop Lion.
1: Is he still on Snoop Lion? I think so. Um, uh, I could see how pot would have an effect on your lungs, though, as well, especially compared to cigarettes because, like, no one uses a filter on their joints.
0: Well, yeah, and they, uh, you inhale deeper with marijuana than you do with uh, right. tobacco. So those are both factors. Yeah. But if you're smoking a pack a day and you're smoking a lot of weed, you're not doing yourself any favors in the lung department. Yes. Even though it might help you fight that cancer, it may give you cancer to begin with.
1: Yeah, just use um non psychoactive uh marijuana oil like they give that little kid. Yeah. Or marinol. Although that's psychoactive. Uh is it? It's a THC pill. Yeah, I remember that. They use it for like those. wasting disease and yeah. and um to increase appetite and that kind of stuff. Just to mess with the endocannabinoid system of people who need it. That's right. Uh you got anything else? No, I mean, this could have been a two-parter, but, well, this is a good, good overview, I think. It is. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Yeah. You learned a little something. Anything else? Nope. Uh, if you want to learn more about marijuana, a.k.a. cannabis, type either of those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, let's see. Since we said uh, search bar, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this
0: uh, Australian Smoke Jumper. Hey guys, just thought I'd write to let you know uh, how you've influenced a major change in my life. A couple of years ago now, uh, you did a podcast on wildfires. I already had a strong interest in firefighting, but never heard of the things like smoke jumpers or some of the science involved. Uh, Since, I joined the Rural Fire Service um, last year as a volunteer, and last week, I completed my first full bushfire fighter accreditation. Wow. Uh, It's been a great change, and it's inspired me to get fitter and more active with my community. I'm now working towards getting fit and fast enough to be a smoke jumper, which we call uh, RAFT units in Australia, Remote Area Fire Task Force. So thanks, guys, for giving me the inspiration and drive to get out there and challenge myself. Couldn't imagine doing anything else in my spare time now. As always, love the show. Uh, you keep me mildly distracted through my slow days at work. And that is Andrew from Australia.
1: Nice. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Congratulations. Yeah, keep it up, buddy. That's pretty cool work. Agreed. Be safe out there. Uh, If you want to let us know about any uh, life achievements or successes that you'd like to celebrate by sharing them with us, we want to hear about them. Uh, We are all over social media. You can find us on uh, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just search Stuff You Should Know, S-Y-S-K, Josh and Chuck in your favorite browser, and it should bring uh, one or all of them up, right? Yeah. And go hang out at the coolest place on the entire web. That is stuffyoushouldknow.com.